Dreadheads, this is one ad you are not going to want to skip. Psilocybin, when taken thoughtfully at sub-hallucinogenic levels, can sharpen your focus, hone your mental clarity, unleash your creativity, expand your mind, and ease your anxiety. Spread the Dread is proud to be sponsored by Schedule 35. And if you head over to Schedule35.co and use coupon code STDPOD, that's S-T-D-P-O-D, you can get 15% off your first order. Schedule 35 takes a science-backed approach to microdosing shrooms. They precisely measure out every dose, verify the age of every one of their customers, and ship discreetly. Better yet, they give you a microdosing regimen that allows you to enjoy the benefits of psilocybin without any of the hallucinogenic effects. So visit Schedule35.co today and be sure to use promo code STDPOD, that's S-T-D-P-O-D, for 15% off your first order. I'm John. And I'm Joe. And welcome to episode 53 of Spread the Dread podcast. This week we are covering John George Haig, the acid bath murderer. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing good. That's good. I am starting to feel like shit <laughs> because I came in from work and two out of three kids, the boys. Yeah. I'm starting to think that uh, whatever sickness is, that they, they are sick. Yeah. And it's, I've been in like maybe two or three hours and I'm not feeling well. <laughs> and I'm starting to think that this is some sort of a sexist disease. Absolutely. That only targets dicks because yeah. you and Zuzu are doing fine. Yep. And that doesn't make me happy because <laughs> usually it's pretty nice around here to have a dick. <laughs> not today. But, so we're going to knock this out before I'm, uh, I'm definitely not feeling good. But uh, again, welcome dreadheads. Uh, let's see here. Oh. Again, thank you guys all for checking out last week's episode mm-hmm. about the Bayou Strangler. That was Robert Dominic and, of course, the Fright Flick Fuck, Mary Kill, where we covered the 2022 film Surrogate. Uh, real quick, Joe, what is the most dreadful website on the entire internet? SpreadTheDreadPodcast.com. That's right. You go there, you find everything you need for Spread the Dread, all the podcast links, uh, the YouTube, the bit shoot. All of the good stuff right there on SpreadTheDreadPodcast.com. And do not forget, if you are checking this out on Apple or Spotify or both, make sure to leave us a five-star review. Send in a screenshot of that review along with your mailing address to our IG, our Facebook, or SpreadTheDreadPodcast at gmail.com. And we will get you out some free five-star Super Spreader Spread the Dread podcast stickers. Eventually. Yeah, we're slow as shit about doing it, but we'll get we're it out We're all to you. caught up now. <laughs> you were caught up We're now. all caught up now, so we're good on that one. And, of course, when you get those stickers in, if you'll be a fucking awesome-ass dude, do that either or, neither nor, and take a picture of yourself with those stickers, well, we might, uh, if you give us permission, use that to uh, shamelessly self-promote a little bit more. So if you're a real <laughs> dreadhead and you want, you don't mind everyone knowing you're a dreadhead. <laughs> you're not too you ashamed. Be part of the club, and all you got to do is give us a five-star review and to give us access to, you know, where you live and stuff like that. So <laughs> probably explains why we why we have a lot more reviews uh, than free stickers we've yeah. given away. 
And I, you know, I get that. I honestly do. Yeah. I, I understand. Not but trusting uh, randoms with your fucking the, address online. <laughs> no, but for all the dreadheads out there that let us know exactly where them and their kids live, we thank you. And hopefully, a few stickers was uh, was worth the trade off there. <laughs> all right, dreadheads. Joe, you ready? Yeah, let's get into this. All here. right, let's kick it into episode fifty-three. John George Haig, the, the acid, acid bath, bath murderer. murderer. All right, Joe, kick it off with the bio that only you know how to do so, so well. Absolutely. So John Haig was born in Stamford, Lincolnshire on July 24th, 1909. You already know we're in the United Kingdom because stuff's going to have Shire <laughs> and Ford and Hampton, Shiford, Shireton, <laughs> Ishton, Ton, all Some in the villages. goddamn names. Yes, yeah. yes. He was raised in the village of Outwood, West, uh, West Riding of Yorkshire. That, that, does that mean that you ride west of Yorkshire and there's that village? I guess so. UK dreadheads, let us know because some of y'all's names are whimsical, but confusing. Yes. Um, his parents were uh, John Haig, who was an engineer, and his wife, Emily Haig. Both the parents were members of the Plymouth Brethren. That a, sounds fun. I know. A conservative Protestant Whoa. sect. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, never a Southern good. Baptist, I already know where his penchant for wanting to murder people came from. <laughs> Former Southern Baptist, I am reformed. <laughs> um, Haig would claim that he suffered from recurring religious nightmares in his childhood due to his family's involvement with the Plymouth Brethren. So that's kind of up your street. Dude, I I told you that. And I mean, if there's any dreadhead out there who was raised in, well, I won't say the church because there's a ton of different, even Christian religions. Super conservative, I think, is where you're wanting to go with it. It's not even necessarily conservative. I mean, it goes kind of part and parcel, but like Southern Baptist, I mean, they're kind of close to like, if anyone knows like Pentecostal, Things that nature. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we go to church. Like, we go the fuck to church. Like, there was hooping and hollering and, like, then you know, Then y'all had it with the revivals where y'all were in church for, what, like, two goddamn weeks straight or Oh, yeah, yeah. Shit? Every single day. I, now, now, unlike, like, you know, Pentecostals and some of those, we didn't do, like, the speaking in tongues where people would just get down there and, quote, unquote, get so filled with the Holy Spirit that they would just babble nonsense and then you'd have somebody else stand up who could translate it for some goddamn reason maybe i don't know i mean we also didn't do like faith healings but now i was in church where some there was a girl who had been coming to a revival this is off subject it's not really off subject because you got to know i'm you got to know the special kind of crazy you're dealing with especially when you're listening to this podcast (laughs) that's co-hosted by me uh but and i'm not knocking religion to each their fucking own but there are fringe elements to it yeah if you're if you take your religion but and you use it and it makes you a better person or a good person yeah yeah, Yeah. we're not knocking you we're talking about that crazy fringe side of the shit where it it makes them judgmental pieces of fucking shit because of their fucking religion absolutely and we've we've all been there Mm -hmm. or we've either been involved with it or we've came across someone that did it but yeah like there was uh when we did a revival I, i i don't know what they i don't know what they call it elsewhere but it was like a week there's been times where like it's gone for like i remember there was like one revival and that's like church every fucking day of the week uh, usually it was like out of town preachers and things like that. Yeah. And there was one where I think it went like almost three weeks straight because apparently they would say the Holy Spirit was moving and shit like that. And again, you, there is an argument to be made about collective consciousnesses. Yeah. 
coming together on yeah, the same spoke, vibrations. Yeah, and, uh, talked yeah. about in psychology. Exactly. It's the same group thing mentality. like group meditations yeah. and things like that. If everyone truly believes it's happening, everyone can buzz off of each other. But yeah, there was like a chick, I wrapping that up portion up, yeah. there was a chick that had been coming uh, it was several days. And I remember she was always dressed in black. And someone it eventually had gotten out that apparently she was demon possessed. So like the, 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 the religion that I grew up in, again, Southern Baptist, believed in demon possession and technically believed in exorcism, mm. even though it wasn't like it wasn't the pomp and circumstance of like a Catholic exorcism. But yeah, you can pray away the, de- the evil. Absolutely. Yeah. And I vividly remember, I mean, I was maybe I was not yet a teenager, but I was like maybe somewhere around like I was a, I was a tween. You know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And I remember after one of the services that night, they uh, several ministers took her to the back room and I, you know, we're trying to pray the demons out. And I mean, she was screaming and hollering. And I remember after it was all said and done, me and a couple of other kids snuck back to where we knew they took her. It was a little side room where the baptismal pool was for when uh, you did yeah, baptism yeah. services. And there were, I, I, I hand to whatever God y'all believe in. There were literal nail claw marks in the floor from this chick. So again, whatever, whatever you believe was going on, she believed it and everybody else did. But I I mean, you, I've told you about kind of my PTSD from religion because we're also, we were also heavily into revelations and Armageddon and the rapture and all that other stuff. And I've told you all of the doomsdayers. Absolutely. So yeah. So, I mean, this is part of it. This is probably the last time in this entire episode where I can empathize a little bit with John George Haig. Joe, please continue (laughs) on about these. uh, Yeah. The Bible stories were the only form of entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go. Cause I, I've, there was periods of my life where that was the case. Well, I mean, at least Christian related, we weren't allowed to consume it, watch it or anything. That's, nuts like at least with him even participation of sports of any kind was forbidden but y'all were allowed to do that no, yeah yeah we weren't we weren't as bad as these people no yeah no so he claimed also um hey that his childhood was like really bleak and lonely obviously because of the isolation he probably felt from the hand of his religion and his parents oh yeah i mean if they were as extreme as this which again they, they were more extreme than what mine was but i mean you've seen it you know if you if you, if you know well, the church thing. people they religion kind of they talk amongst very themselves iso- like a lot of people don't tend to talk about it but like religion by itself can be very isolating because if you're used to you know with this group or this circle of only participating in this activity these people you go to public school or anything you're probably going to feel a little bit of judgment if you even try to open your mouth about it so yeah it's going to make you feel really separated from other people your same age or worst case you guys eventually leave the religion Mm. you know then now now none of your friends you know well that was kind of your experience wasn't it oh yeah oh absolutely yeah the yeah. church kind of turned their back on y'all. Oh, yeah. Once my mom and dad had a divorce, and mm. we kind of just quit going to church. I think I was 16 at the time, maybe almost 17. My mom and dad got a divorce, and yeah, just suddenly one Sunday morning, we weren't going to church. And, I, dude, there was a ton of people that knew me and my family, knew me from my birth. Yeah. Never really heard from them again for a long-ass time, if ever. Yeah. Because suddenly we were, we were tainted. Yeah. We were out on that. So, I mean, yeah. Because of religion. Yeah. On a social perspective, you guys would have needed the most support at that point in time. Right. That's why I do not fucking get. That's the time to bring over a casserole and a prayer. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. But it's all well and good. It led to me being a fucked up individual that hosts an awesome (laughs) fucked up website with his awesome fucked up wife. So, Joe, keep on going. (laughs) 
Um, so, like I said, he claimed that his child was bleak and lonely, and his only friends were his few pets and caring for the neighbor's dog. A tall fence around the house put up by his father kept out prying eyes or any of the, you know, social contact with the outside world. So, you know, he didn't have just the mental fences. He had physical goddamn oh, yeah. fex- yeah. fences around yeah, a, him. A, a physical reminder of what was all all about his family. Yeah. Walls, blocks, you yeah. know. Absolutely. Um, Haig also developed a great proficiency at piano, which makes sense because that's a solo, you know, solo sport. Oh, yeah. You know, well, solo and, activity. And no matter yeah. what your church, they love the piano. Yeah. That's the one instrument, not of the devil, no matter where you go. But it's like, it's close to the organ, ain't it, though? That's yeah, why. Yeah, the, the organ sometimes has different effects you could put on it. So there's some places that may even not want that around <laughs> because, you know, Jesus doesn't like reverb. Now, uh, Haig was also really fond of classical music and often a attended concerts in his area. He also won a scholarship to Queen's uh, Elizabeth Grammar School in Wakefield. Um, He soon became a choir boy there at the notable Wakefield Cathedral. Now, after finishing school, Haig was apprenticed to a motor engineering firm, so it looks like he's trying to kind of take after his dad because his father was an engineer. Got to go in the family business. Yeah. After a year, he ends up leaving that job, and he took a job in insurance and advertising. At the age of 21, he was dismissed after being suspected of stealing from a cash box. So, oh, oh, yeah. oh he's got yeah. sticky fingers. Well, it's, now it's time to rebel, man. Yeah. It's like every kid has to rebel a little bit. You and when you hold that shit. Wild yep. and, when, and there's a lot of them that they, they, they're under such a tight thumb until they're out of the house. Now they're legally adults. So when they could have sowed the wild oats and the kids would have, or the, the cops would have brought them home and let the parents know what was going on, but there was really nothing they could prosecute them for. Now they're suddenly 18, 19, piss drunk, fucking all over the place and doing fucked up shit and they can be tried as an adult. Exactly. Well, then also too, I think that's where the Christians and the Catholics and even the Baptists all kind of fuck up because the Amish, the Messonites and all that, they have this period yes. in their youth's lives where they allow them to make those decisions for themselves like yep. look they got a wild hair up their ass around this age we should cut them loose not yeah, hold anything to technically yeah. go and, and be like all right not hold know. anything against yeah. you go experience it get it you know get it out of and your then come system back if you want come back now if they you want. Now, but they are going to they're but they have going a very to- high success rate of people coming back and i think if you're going to tr- if you really want people to be around your religion you should be accepting of that age range. You should know that somebody, at, you know, if they've been under lock and key for that many years, once you unlock for adulthood, you should give them a few years to, to burn some bridges. All right, Dreadhead. So on July 6th of 1934, John George Haig uh, stopped attending his parents' church. Surprise, fucking surprise. Mm -hmm. And married 23-year-old Beatrice Hammer, uh, a woman that he actually barely knew. Again, surprise, surprise. Now, the same year as his marriage, Haig was actually imprisoned for fraud. Uh, his wife, Betty, gave birth while he was in prison, so they barely knew each other. <laughs> I would dare to say that either she was of ill repute or was also someone he met through that Protestant sect that his parents were a part of. Both of them were like, look, we need to fucking bang <laughs> something. We can't do it unless we're married. Yeah, Otherwise, that's Jesus what that sounded like to me. Right. Uh, so, I mean, they got, to, they got to fucking quick and had a baby. Um, she, though, actually placed the baby girl they had together up for adoption and divorced Haig. Now, this I found interesting. After getting this married. This was roughly four months after getting married. Now, 
Dreadhead's basic simple math says nine months to cook a baby. Yeah. Which says that somebody was fogging before wedding day. Yeah. 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 So I'm sure that didn't go well. And maybe that's why, because of it was a shotgun wedding. Could be. Uh, by the by, Haig's conservative family severed all ties with him due to, of course, his arrest. That wasn't good. Uh, because oh, the again, marriage. He, was, yeah, the marriage he was arrested right there, for fraud. Divorce. That yeah. is the that is basically getting money for lying in yeah. layman's terms, and you know breaking down of his marriage again. When you're when you're in some of these ultra conservative religions, oh, yeah, the divorce is, is for not life. again. That's that's why my family was kind of ostracized because mm-hmm. my mom and dad were divorcing. That you yeah. don't fucking do that. Anyway, after serving his time, Haig moved to London. Good old London in 1936 and actually ended up becoming a chauffeur to one William McSwan, a wealthy owner of uh, like amusement arcades. So like the arcade machines and stuff at the time they put in amusement parks and things of that nature. Uh, he also, because again, like the he, day of days of like the boardwalks and shit, right? Oh yeah. Like it's about you, that yeah, era. You know, we, we like I'm that, thinking show, like boardwalk we that show boardwalk empire yeah. a lot. Yeah. So, you know, you, you had amusement machines, there, arcade machines yeah. and things like that rudimentary though they were at the time. Uh, and since of course, uh, Haig's father had an engineering career and he had studied engineering a little bit. He also, also maintained McSwan's uh, various machines for him. Uh, now, Haig moved on to his next scam. Uh, he, did, he learned nothing. Uh, this will be a common theme throughout the rest of the episode of scamming and fraud and things of that nature. So he moved on to his next scam of pretending to be a solicitor named William Cato Adamson. That does sound pretty legit yeah it especially does. if spoken in a british william well Cato yeah and he's over here claiming Adamson. a shit yeah he's claiming a shit ton of offices too uh what yeah chauncey yeah, lane all of London. These because they're so fucking british you have to say it yeah uh sarah chancery lane london guildford surrey and hastings sussex that's right he claimed to have offices in all three of those locations that uh, sounds pretty legit you know I, what I, mean? I mean especially again this is 1936 you can't google this motherfucker uh, yeah. to find out if he's lying or not uh Haig ended up selling fraudulent stock shares uh that were uh, purportedly from the estates of his deceased clients uh, uh. and he did this at below market rates uh, his scam was eventually uncovered by someone who noticed he, <laughs> God he damn. misspelled Guilford as Gwilford <laughs> on his letterhead. So I guess they noticed that they're like, wait, this is fucking, that's not right. Oh, like he's, wow. again, it's on the letterhead. So on the printed document, you would go to the printer at that time and the letterhead would be printed on everything so that no matter what you, because everything was handwritten back then yeah. mostly or, or typed on a typewriter. Yeah. So your letterhead was automatically printed if you were official. So then you went to all this official shit and, and you got a misspelling. misspelling. Oh my God, that's right. hilarious. Uh, so by this person getting uh, kind of you know concerned about these misspellings, it led into investigations, yada, yada, and Haig ended up receiving a four-year prison sentence for fraud. Uh, he was eventually released, Joe, just after the start of World War II. Uh, he would continue to act as a fraudster and was in, ended up being sentenced to several other terms of imprisonment. Jeez Louise. Exactly, exactly. During all that. Now, believing uh, that he was caught and he served time, he, in his warped logic, thought the only reason that he was caught 
was because he had left his victims alive to accuse him. If wow. you ever find yourself, Dreadheads, in a position <laughs> where you're like, I'd have got away with it too. Not if it was because, you know, not, <laughs> if not before of those meddling kids, I'd be, <laughs> i.e. Scooby-Doo. I'd have gotten away with it if I'd only fucking killed them. <laughs> you're probably on a bad path. Yeah. You should probably rethink some shit. Take a break, week or two, maybe, I don't know. If you have to worry about witnesses, then it's not the crime to be doing. Right, well, certainly if your witnesses, you know, start fucking overplaying you and you're like, well, fuck, if I would have just killed him, no. Murder, never the fucking answer, dreadheads. Um, So he actually, because of this line of logic, he ended up becoming intrigued uh, with a, a French murderer that we haven't covered. Maybe we need to look into this guy. Yeah. Uh, Georges is what well, it has an S at the end of it, so Georges Alexandre, because it's Alexander with D R E, like they forgot about Dre. <laughs> Sarette, who had actually disposed of his victims by using sulfuric acid. So Haig, in his intrigue and deciding that every he did everything right, he got himself he a did, what is that like beginner chemist set? <laughs> right, yeah, the my first chemist set they sold in the fucking fifties, which is you know that yeah they just came with all the lead neutronium that a boy could want. He's like, I'm uh, gonna fuck around with acid because right, yeah. that dude fucked around with acid. He did. He started to experiment with sulfuric acid. He was Aww, using uh, filled, filled mice. mice. I know. I hate that idea of it. I but and found. That for a, for the common British field mouse, whatever that may be, UK dreadheads, again, comment below. It only took roughly about 30 minutes for the body to completely dissolve. So, all right, dreadheads, let's get into what you are here for, <laughs> where John Haig stops fucking around with field mice and bopping them on the head <laughs> and gets into practicing well, not practicing anymore, I guess, actually putting, you know, some fucking practice in. What's the turn of phrase? I feel like there's a turn of phrase there. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it, I was thinking practicing what you preach, but that doesn't apply here either, no, although kind of the preaching thing, I think, is coming because of his religious, religious background. Yeah. Either way, you know what? He's going to make sure that practice makes perfect. There you go. There we go, Joe. Now, Haig, again, he's, he's arrested multiple times and all this other stuff. Well, eventually, Joe and Dreadheads, in 1943, he finally gets out of prison again. Yeah, and there, from there, he stays with uh, the Stefan family, where he began a close friendship with one of the daughters, Barbara, who, despite the 20-year age fucking gap, oh, believed yeah. that she was, you know, she could become his fucking next wife. Which God damn. was the style at the time. Yeah, <laughs> but, oh my God, yeah. And Young women and old men. Yeah, in 44, Haig was actually involved in a car accident where he suffered a wound to the head. That's and, not good. We no, don't need this motherfucker no, getting head trauma. No, <laughs> like, not no. physical head trauma to go with all of the, like, subliminal and emotional head trauma he's gotten his whole life. Yeah, I must say, we, we go from, like, dark thoughts to, like, pushing right over that. That line, I'm like, why not with I'm head trauma? You, sometimes God just wants to make a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> now, shortly after uh, the accident, he actually rented a basement space at 79 Gloucester or Gloucester. I'm sure it's probably Gloucester or something Gloucester like that. Road. Like, yeah, there's a lot of cities in what is it, Massachusetts and in the in the New England area. I oddly enough, New England. That have like Cester, C E S T E R, or even like Worcestershire oh, or, or, sauce. Yeah, there's like one it just like, fucks it's, it's with like, my it's spelled tongue. It's like Worcester, W O R 
C E S T E R, but yeah. I've heard people up there call it Wooster. Yeah. And shit like it, it, dude, it is fucking crazy. Like yeah. they won't tell you how to pronounce so it. So it makes me really apprehensive to just commit to like a pronunciation. I, I would have said it. Gloucester, just because okay. I like if I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm gonna pronounce the fucking letters. And again, it's English, but it's British <laughs> English. So I feel like you know, there's no weird symbols above the letters, like if he was Nordic or some <laughs> shit like that, you know. Um, this is actually where he set up his workshop. A grim death trap to lure unsuspecting victims. Oh, yeah. Um, by chance, he actually ran into his former employer, William McSwain, in a Kensington pub. McSwan. Oh, McSwain. No, yeah, there's no McSwan. I in there. But this was the guy that he was chauffeuring for. Yeah. Earlier we had talked about. Yeah, so go ahead, Jim. I was thinking Schwans and then Swain, like it had just mushed all together. <laughs> McSwan actually uh, introduced Haig to his parents, Donald and Amy. Um, he actually worked for them by collecting rents on their London properties. And Haig became envious of, you know, obviously his livestock. Because right. mommy and daddy's bankrolling him, essentially. Yeah, well, he's, he's taking over the family business. There is a family. But again, but again, you got to think about the parallels here of Haig being envious that McSwan went into his his he had he continued on his family's business basically. Mm-hmm. But Haig had that opportunity too. He was in engineering school. Let's not forget. Now again, I didn't see anything about. I mean, obviously his parents were religious nut jobs, mm-hmm. but I didn't see anything about like poverty or anything like that. I mean, an engineering mm. uh, or someone with engineering skills. Generally, you know, even back in the early 1900s, that would seem to be a, a pretty decent living. Yeah, I would think at so. that time. But he's the one who couldn't cut it and dropped out and decided to live a life of fucking fraud and all this other stuff. So, again, he's envious of someone whose life kind of parallels what his own could have been had yeah. he not possibly if his dad owned his own business i mean he could have been working for an engineering firm and or you know, he could have progressed not. the family name into having his own engineering firm and instead he's over there fucking frauding people and fucking using sulfuric acid on field mice yeah so obviously he takes that envy <laughs> and uses it so on uh, september 6th of 1944 mick swan actually disappears dun, dun, dun. hager um hag later excuse me, admitted he lured McSwan into a basement on Gloucester Road, hit him over the head with a lead pipe, and then slit his throat. Oh, yeah, but now Haig later confessed, quote, I got a, I got a mug <laughs> and took some blood from his neck in the mug and drank it, end quote. I'm imagining that's how he thought. I'm sure he's probably more refined than that because he was kind of trying to weasel his way into high-end social circles, but uh, I, I don't know. For some reason, I want to think that he's got like a real like East Enders fucking... It's just a weird thing just to commit to do. Like, I don't know. It just, if that's what you're into, I guess that's what the I fuck mean, you're I mean, into. I guess in the, you know, when in Rome. Yeah. In that moment. We've never been in that moment, Joe, where we knocked someone over I'm the just head, like, killed oh, them, and slipped all their the throat. Right? I mean, blood was real dirty back then. You know what I'm saying? Right. It ain't like now. There was shit in it. Yeah. You possibly get some clean blood now. I everybody was fucked up back then. Um, he then actually put the body into a 40-gallon drum with concentrated sulfuric acid. There we go. Two days later, uh, finding that McSwan's body had mostly dissolved, Haig emptied the drum into a nearby sewer manhole. Ugh, just fucking 
human chunks getting put into the fucking sewer system i'm thinking of uh national lampoon he's of the oh where he's sitting (laughs) his chemical (laughs) toilet ripping a cigar in his bathrobe basically i mean apart from the fact that cousin eddie had a hose yeah it's just as gross now haig told mcswan's parents that their son had gone into hiding in Scotland to avoid being called up for military service. I, uh, UK dreadheads, again, with some history knowledge. Let us know there. I mean, we had draft. I don't want to use the term negatively because it's all about the Vietnam War, and I'm not getting into that, but we had quote-unquote draft dodgers here mm-hmm. in that time frame. So, you know, I get it. Maybe it was a plausible um, Excuse, thing yeah. at that point. Yeah, Hague, but then Hague began living in McSwan's house and collecting rent for McSwan's parents. So I can see that. Hey, we know him. Our mm. son, our son William knows him and stuff like that. William went to high. Okay. He's going to continue taking up William's tasks. I'm sure they were probably appreciative of that for a little bit. But however, Joe, McSwan's parents eventually became worried that their son had not returned since the war was coming to an end. Yeah, and this is on where uh, on July 2nd, 1945, Haig lures his parents to the that uh, address on Gloucester Road oh, yeah. by telling them their son was back from Scotland for a surprise visit. There is where he kills them with blows of the head and disposes of them in sulfuric acid drums as he had previously done to their son. So he, he just knocked out the whole goddamn family. I guess once they were just getting too suspicious, again, his whole reason, quote unquote, for why he started doing this was once it seemed, you know, I got caught because I left people alive. So I guess once they started asking too many questions, he just went into that mode and was like, all right, Kai, I got to kill him. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I mean. <laughs> and then he continues his bankroll because this is where he begins uh, stealing the pension checks of a McSwans. Um, and then he sells their parents' properties for around 8,000 pounds. Yeah. See, I'm, I, that part I was curious about and I couldn't find out. I don't know how the law, mm-hmm. obviously, even in America, where we're at in, in in that time of year, how or that time frame of history worked, let alone in the UK. But yeah, he 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 was. I would I mean, think he would just have the deed in hand. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I guess maybe if the if they were, but don't you? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess if you forged everything and he's been committing fraud for a while now and knew yeah. how to do it. But yeah, so he was able to sell off all of all of the McSwans. Well, that's the thing, though. Usually, when you own something, I'm thinking about like a title for a car. Is yeah, like you have it. Yeah, you have the title in hand. So if the house was you know already paid for, he would have a deed well, in would, hand. And I would imagine it was that, that shit was paid for. Because again, they were well off. Yeah, that's you know, what and they I'm had saying. several rental properties and stuff like that. And so yeah, I mean, yeah, but he was able to do that. Uh, Haig then moved into the Onslow Court Hotel in Kensington. By 1947, Haig, who was a notorious gambler, was running short of money. Oh, like he needed another vice. Yeah. To solve his financial troubles, he found another couple to kill and rob, Archibald Henderson and his wife Rose. I like that name, Archibald. Archibald, that sounds like a rich name. Yeah. I wonder if that's where Archie comes from. Usually everyone who's got the, 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 the they call Archie, that is shorthand or short form for Archibald. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that, okay. Is, that is common. Okay, I, had, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so after feigning interest in a house that they were selling, he was invited to the Henderson's house by Rose to play the piano for their housewarming party. Now, while at their house, Haig stole Archibald Henderson's revolver, planning to use it in his next crime. Hey. Uh, he's pre-planning shit, man. A couple guess, moves yeah. ahead, yeah. Well, I mean, by this point, they wouldn't have had any kind of like fingerprinting technology, correct? I think so. Yeah. So I mean, no, they, no, yeah, no. I think they do. 
How? They I think that was already by then. Right? No, but they still, I mean, they were still taking fingerprints at local precincts. I would imagine so, but I mean, I wonder what the, the I mean, Jesus, was someone just in there with a magnifying glass comparing a bunch of fingerprints? I don't know. God damn, that had been a terrible fucking job to have had. <laughs> Jesus, that's like, that's just like, I don't know. I think I, I either got to go to work and look at fingerprints with a magnifying glass or I can kill myself and not do that. I don't know what I'm going to do tonight. I, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. So, um, running a small workshop at 2 Leopold Road, Crawley, Sussex, Haig moved with, oh God, moved his self acid and drums there from his previous spot at Gloucester Road. Yeah, so I mean, so he's just bringing them along with him. I guess. I mean, I mean it doesn't I, really look all that suspicious. Well, again, if he's and it's if just he's, a goddamn drum in your garage. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, but I mean, then again, I mean, I guess at the same time too. Why do you have workshops and stuff like that? I mean, again, it's not going to be suspicious at that time. Yeah, and, you know, and again, I mean, I guess it would probably be all like hindsight suspicious kind of stuff, or yeah. depending on too if that was like one of the properties that maybe the McSwans had, because again, yeah. their son William was collecting rents on stuff. He ended up selling all of it. Did he keep one for himself? Again, the details are a little bit limited because we're dealing in the early 1900s. Yeah, yeah, the paper trail's not there. Right. So uh, on February uh, 12th, 1948. That's my birthday, February 12th. Yes. Not 1948. I'm not that goddamn old. <laughs> Close, but not that old. Um, Haig drove Archibald Henderson to his workshop claiming he wanted to show him an invention. I've got well, this fantastic invention, Governor. Come see it. And Bobby do. It's, it's all full of whimsy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when they arrived, Haig shot Henderson in the head uh, with the stolen revolver right. so okay so, so he well again they would have had definitely had registration at that point you know they yeah. had the technology for serial numbers to yeah. be on it and stuff like that so the firearm would have been registered to henderson so again not to give him credit but that is smart you, you killed the man with his own weapon and things like that so i i get what he's going Kinda clean for. yeah um he, uh, he actually later uh lord um rose henderson his uh the wife yeah, archie's wife yeah to the workshop claiming that her husband had fallen ill and then that's he where he shot her as well jesus dude like if it, so all right like so he had like he's really going like scorched earth well yeah but again his whole motivation is fraud it's money it's things yeah. of that nature i mean again he's he's obviously got and doesn't want to go back to prison so he's just like all right i'm just gonna <laughs> yeah, clean sweep this shit uh, yeah he had uh, stupid though it may be yeah he had one thought and he is at least sticking to this game plan until it doesn't pan out for him yeah so after disposing of the henderson's bodies and oil drums filled with acid again he forged a letter with their signatures and sold all of their possessions for eight thousand pounds except for their car and dog which he kept i love how he's and like keeping the dog i i mean again he but we talked earlier that was some of the only friends he had it was like family pets and then the neighbor's dog and things of that nature so maybe he just couldn't do that or he he was like oh you know i i like dogs Maybe. I'll have another dog. You I, know, don't know. I guess I don't Some, know. I don't know. Depending on what his exposure was, sometimes animals are far friendlier than what human other human beings can be. Oh, I mean, I can give you that on that, but yeah. it doesn't excuse him. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. So let's move on, Joe, to Haig's next and final victim, which was Olive Durand Deacon. Now, that's two powerful last names. Durand Deacon know, right? right there. <laughs> uh, she was 69. <laughs> Um, that's a good number. I don't, I don't think he chose her for that, but I find it funny. Uh, she was the wealthy widow of a solicitor, John Durand Deacon, 
And she was also a fellow resident of the Onslow Court Hotel. Now, if you've oh. ever watched period pieces, it wasn't insanely uncommon for people to have residences in hotels back then, especially if they were going well, around do. a lot, traveling a lot, and things like that. It wasn't, it wasn't that uncommon, but that was also the hotel where John George Haig was living at that time. Yeah, but I, I guess I always thought that that would mean that you were prosperous, at least, well, right? I mean, again, I mean, we, we think of the fact that once he did what he did with the McSwans, and then ultimately again with the Hendersons, where... You know, he had sold everything for 8,000 pounds. We got to remember, this is in the early 1900s. 8,000 pounds is is a pretty penny. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, he could probably live in some pretty fancy places. These places that he was renting, these workshops, he was not living there. He was just, you know, renting and or buying them or what have you. So that he could have a place to to store the drums, basically, while he and murder the people, yeah, and all of that other stuff. But otherwise, yeah, he was he was living in the Ons the Onslow Court Hotel, which gave him access to Olive Duran Deacon. Yeah, and by this time, he was actually calling himself an engineer, which would make sense. He's got the workshops now yeah. and things like that. And again, he had the anyone who knew suddenly why the the Hendersons, Archibald and his wife Rose, were missing. Well, there's this guy who was like, oh, yeah, last time I saw him, I had brought him over to show him an invention. I'm an engineer. Yeah. Oh, you know, so again, to not carry. to give him kudos, but he, he's he's trying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so this is where um, he actually ended up, uh, or she wanted to talk to him uh, about an idea that she had for artificial fingernails. And he ends up inviting her down to this workshop on Leopold Road. Uh, road, excuse me. And then yeah. on February, that was on February 18th, 1949. Now, once inside, he shoots her in the back of the neck with a 38 caliber Webley revolver. This is the same gun that he had actually stolen from Archibald and used on them. Right. And you have to remember that it was it was February 12th of 1948 when he killed Archibald. Yeah. Then, you know, only, I, I, again, I couldn't find an exact time frame. Was it the same day? Was it a couple of days later? Is when he lured Rose Henderson there stating that Archie was ill and was at his workshop, whatever. Yeah. It would make more sense if it was the same day because he had lured Archie down there. And then suddenly if he goes back and he's like, hey, I left Archie at the workshop. He's not feeling well. Can you, you know, can you, he's asking for you if you can come get him and yada, yada. Yeah. So let's just assume that, that Rose Henderson was killed on February 12th or the 13th. So he, this is not even a week later that yeah. he's got Olive Duran Deacon Wait, down there. he said that was in 48, and now we're in 49. Oh. Yeah, this is a year. Yeah, it's been a year. Oh, oh yeah. shit, okay. So he, he ran well, on the money. Well, disregard everything I just said, Dreadhead. <laughs> but he at least ran on the money for a while. Well, fair play, yes. Yeah, so and he kept his fucking his So he's just coming back up for air because he's running out of fucking money. Maybe, it maybe seems. he got that one year itch. Yeah. <laughs> and was just like, oh, you know, it's been a whole year and I haven't killed anybody. <laughs> oh, she's 69 sure wanna years see old. want to see a body that's, fucking that's dissolve in acid. All <laughs> right. God almighty, sick, sick, sick. Um, so this, like we said, he uh, used the same exact gun. He, uh, he had stripped her of um, her valuables, um, including her Persian lamb coat, and put her into a sulfuric acid bath as well. Um, two days later, um, her Bonnie, um, or Olive Duran Deacon's friend, uh, Constance Lane, reported her missing. Now, due to Constance uh, Lane reporting Olive Duran Deacon's, uh, you know, disappearance, mm-hmm. I guess maybe she was rich enough or enough rich people in the area had died suddenly or reported <laughs> missing 
The cops got off their duffs and started doing some investigation. Uh, detectives soon discovered Haig's record of theft and fraud and ended up searching his workshop. So again, if someone had reported the Hendersons missing, the McSwans missing, mm-hmm. now they have this common thread. Yeah. They've, they've got John, jo- uh, John George Haig that people have seen him with and things of that nature. So they decide to search his workshops. Now, once they did that, Police found Haig's, uh, he had a briefcase that was containing dry cleaner receipts for Olive Duran Deacon's coat. That's that, that, uh, that Persian lamb coat that mm-hmm. Joe had just mentioned, um, along with papers that had various references to both the Hendersons and the McSwans. Yeah, so, he's caught red-handed, Yeah, essentially. he's literally got yeah. a paper trail right yeah. there that he had saved. Now, the workshop in Sussex that Haig had rented uh, did not contain a floor drain. Mm. So, unlike the work, this was unlike the workshop that he later rented, the second one. Um, sorry. No, sorry. The, the first, first one. one. Yeah, yeah so like the second one that he Road, got yeah. in, in, on Sussex Road didn't have a floor drain like the one at Gloucester Road did in London, his original one. So that's where he uh, killed the McSwans yeah. at was that one. Um, so because of this, Dreadheads, he disposed of the remains. So again, it, it dissolves them down. But after only a you couple of days, yes, there's a sludge and there can be little pieces and stuff yeah. still in that little, little hard parts right there. So he disposed of the remains of these, these acid baths by pouring out the container uh, onto a pile of rubble at uh, the back of the property. Gross. I don't understand that. If he would have literally, and I'm, all of our environmental freak dreadheads out there, calm down. But if he'd have dumped it on the ground, all of the actual liquid sludge would have eventually permeated the soil. So if there was any kind of bone fragments, teeth, anything like that, he would have seen them. But imagine it's a rubble pile, so it's, it's rock, it's little pieces of concrete, it's, it's basically construction I, waste. I know, but maybe you're trying to camouflage the bits and pieces of bone in the rubble. Fair enough. You Fair enough. I mean? And I didn't think of that because yeah. even when I wrote the notes, I was like, dude, if you'd have done that on the ground after a day or two, any pieces left over would have been there. And you could have, I don't know, collected those and drove out of town for a fucking weekend and threw them in a river or some kind of shit. But again, yeah. hindsight's twenty twenty when it comes to this stuff. Uh, so now the, the investigation of that area by a pathologist named Keith Simpson revealed <laughs> 28 pounds of human body fat, yeah, man. part of a human foot, human gallstones. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, somebody out there, what, what, what gives you gallstones? What do you need Poor more diet. of? Poor diet. What yeah. do you need more of to not have that? Green leafy vegetables. All right, so someone's just red meating it up and not fucking giving a <laughs> goddamn fuck about it. And luckily, I guess it worked out to the benefit. Didn't save their life, but it did get this guy taken away. Uh, and also part of a, of a piece of denture, so fake teeth, uh, that was later identified as that of Olive Duran, wow. uh, Duran Deacon's dentist. dentist. Yeah. Her dentist identified it during, during, the, trial. during wow. the trial. That's awesome. So Haig asked Detective Inspector Albert Webb during questioning. <laughs> quote. This yes. is a direct quote. Yeah. Quote. Tell me frankly, what are the chances of anybody being released from Broadmoor? Right. End, end quote. quote. So now, Joe, tell them what brought, because uh, now you got to have some context. What is Broadmoor? It's a high security psychiatric hospital. Uh, the inspector said that he could not discuss that. And Haig replied, well, quote, quote, well, if I told you the truth, 
You would not believe me. It sounds too fantastic to believe, end quote. Right. So he he, he feels him. He, he knows he's caught. Yeah. But then he's like, all right, how much do I want to cooperate here? Because he if he figured he was going to go to a psychiatric hospital, which, again, we're talking about pre 1950s psychiatric hospital. If anybody knows anything about anything dealing with this shit, uh, no rough. fucking bueno. Yeah. Uh, you may, you would be just almost as wanting to go to jail versus that, you know, those kind of facilities yeah, back rooms then. rooms coupled with the, like just all this spectrums of fucking mental illness right. around you. Well, at but all it was times cool for Hague to suspect or to figure that that was just what was going to happen. He wasn't going to go to jail or anything like that. They were going to lock him up. But again, I guess he kind of realized how fucking heinous his crime was and stuff like that and just assumed that's what was going to happen. Regardless, dreadheads, Haig did eventually confess to killing Olive Duran Deacon, the McSwans, and the Hendersons, as well as three other people. Now, these included a young man uh, simply known by the first name of Max, Mm -hmm. an unnamed girl from Eastbourne, as well as another unnamed woman from Hammersmith. But these three additional claims never could be substantiated. Well, I mean, at least he got them off of his chest. I mean, shit. Well, I mean, at that point, too, when you're confessing all this other stuff, I mean, you probably, I mean, again, we're talking pre-1950s. It's not a broad stroke. More than likely, he's probably telling the truth at that point. Because, again, if I'm already going in for what... The McSwans was three murders, William and his parents. Yeah. Then you had Archie and Rose. The, that the, makes five. Yeah, and then Olive, so that's, that's six. six. So, I mean, what's the difference between... There's not like a threshold yeah, where they're nine. like, oh, he only killed four. Okay, he'll only get this. I mean, we're talking six or nine. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would imagine he's probably telling the truth there. Now, his trial was held at Luz Assises. Is that how you... Assises? Yeah, L-E-W-E-S... And then the second word, Assis, or whatever, A-S-S-I-Z-E-S. That's an odd one for me. A crown court venue in Lewis High Street, Lewis, East Sussex, England. Um, he pleaded insanity, claiming that he had drunk the blood of his victims. Again, we, you know, we talked about when he first killed With William, he did claim to, to drink the blood. So I guess he figured that made him crazy. Although, if that's what made you crazy... Why'd you kill William? What was the response? Yeah. What made you do that? Because per your testimony, you hadn't drank blood before then. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He said he had dreams dominated by blood as a young boy. This just kind of sounds like a ploy. I, mean, I don't maybe, know. Maybe. I mean, obviously there's no reasoning for him to have done what he done. But if you read the quote next, Joe. And I, I mean, again, when you're talking about someone that was. And again, I can say this because I was raised in a in a type of church that had a lot of stuff to do with doomsday rapture armageddon and things of that nature and knowing that he was from a a very strict protestant group which is roughly what southern baptists came off of you know the 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 age of uh oh god like i think it's the age of enlightenment or something like that what they call it or whatever age it was become responsible for your well no it was kind of a historical period that they called that there was real you know i think like the wesleyans and some of that those sects of protestantism it was when you're more extreme, again, I'm not trying to fucking offend anybody here, although I don't give a fuck, but you're more like extreme sects of Protestantism started to like kind of rear up in the UK, in other parts of Europe, and also in America at this time and things like that, which gave rise to things like Pentecostals, Evangelicals, your Baptists and stuff like that, that would, that would get a, a lot more... 
I guess, what's the word, like really into the church <laughs> aspect and further away from the more, you know, if you ever went to Catholic mass, I know your mom was a Catholic. Yeah. Sometimes you would go like on Easter's and Christmas and stuff like that. But if you ever seen Catholic mass, there's a structure to it. Absolutely. There is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which I found always weird. Like when you mm. go to church where I came up. It's like a, it's like it's set to a metronome. Like it exactly. has a very there is tonal a schedule. schedule. It has it. its, yeah. it, and it, it's basically, it's a ritual. Mm-hmm. That is the ritual. Not when you go to some of these other ones. I mean, they, there is no in and out time. Like you're there by whatever time. You get the fuck out when the preacher says the Holy Ghost is done with you and shit Mm -hmm. like that. So, but yeah, go to the quote that Haig said, uh, talking about his dreams of blood as a young boy. Yeah. So I saw before me a forest of crucifixes, which gradually turned into trees. At first, there appeared to be dew or rain dripping from the branches. But as I approached, I realized it was blood. The whole forest began to writhe and the trees, dark and erect, to ooze blood. A man went from each tree catching the blood. When the cup was full, he approached me. Drink, he said, but I was unable to move. Well, that was fucked up, and I certainly don't recall having any of those exact (laughs) dreams myself, but I'm not going to say he didn't. And again, it doesn't negate what the fuck he did, but I'm sure, you know, for a motherfucker trying to sound like he's insane, it might have helped a little bit. Yeah. The Attorney General, Sir Hartley Shawcross, led the prosecution and urged the jury to reject Higgs' defense of insanity because he had acted with premeditated and deliberate malice. Which he did. Yeah. I mean, you're going to steal a gun in order to commit a, a crime later. You know? Well, not only that, but I mean, again, you killed William McSwan, the first one. Well, then you came up with an elaborate lie of where they were and of course by this point i'm I'm guessing the documentation they found particularly for the mcswans and the hendersons probably Direct all had correlated to, do, to the fraud well, probably all had yeah. to do with their properties because yeah. he sold them he had to commit yeah. fraud to do that so you have motive yeah. and things of like that a lot of the times it's really hard to plead insanity when there's motive involved yeah absolutely so um from there uh, Sir David Maxwell Fife, uh, defeat. Oh, oh, defending called yeah, he was many a defender. witnesses. Yeah, defender. Um, called many witnesses to attest to Higgs' mental state, including Henry Yellowlees. That's I a lo- British ass last I name. I love that Yellow last. Lees. Yeah, I love that. It yeah. almost sounds like you fucked up saying another word. <laughs> And then they were just like, no, nah, put that well, on the We'll seven. stick to that yeah. one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, who claimed Haig had a paranoid constitution, adding, quote, the absolute callous, cheerful, bland, and almost friendly indifference of the accused to the crimes which he freely admits having committed is unique in my experience, end quote. Yeah, so he's basically saying, like, this is, this is very different from the guy I know. Yeah, yeah, he's cold. Yeah, so i probably arguing more for, like, a split personality or something yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. Um, Haig mistakenly had believed that if the bodies of his victims could not be found, a murder <laughs> conviction would not be possible. I mean, if, if we're not I mean, thinking in terms he's thinking of about insurance, if you ain't got a body, you can't claim the insurance. I mean, yeah, right, but, but no, saying, motherfucker. Like in, 20, in 2023, that sounds stupid, but go back to then and like, that's not a bad, I mean, obviously yeah. it's bad, but like, that's not that far off that doesn't sound that I, I dumb you, like, that. How can you, pr- you can't prosecute me for someone you can't find <laughs> then again you've got a briefcase full of documents where you sold their properties kept shit you kept one of their cars you kept a dog yeah 
you had other ties. It's not like you just killed him and like fucking left him be. No, no, and luckily it didn't even fucking matter because it only took minutes for the jury to find him yeah, guilty. That's funny as hell. Yeah, minutes. They, yeah, they. It's did like not. they walked into the room, didn't even sit down, walked right back out. Played like a quick game of musical chairs, and then like you know maybe maybe got like a tea, and then was just like, all right, let's go, let's go fucking lock this motherfucker out. Oi. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Justice Humphrey sentenced John George Haig to death and. And he finished his life story for the newspaper that had paid for his trial and defense. Yeah, so I would imagine, I guess back then, you, maybe you public defense wasn't a thing. Yeah. And like, so to have a defender, you had to pay for it. So I guess a newspaper, hmm. I, I would imagine that wasn't that odd at the time because obviously you want the story to keep going. It's something to write about and things like that. But yeah, a newspaper ended huh. up paying for his defense. So. Once it was all done and dusted, I guess Haig, you know, gave him the rest of his story and all that stuff and kind of put a cherry on top for the story, at least for the newspaper. Wow. So he also wrote letters to Barbara Steffens and to his parents who did not see him before he died. Yeah. Now, Barbara Steffens, remember when he first got uh, first got out uh, before he started, he had already started experiment, experimenting with the sulfuric acid. Mm. Then he got out of prison and started living with them. She yeah. was the younger girl, about 20 years younger than him, that it, they had kind of had a fling or something. She figured they were going to marrying so he kept in contact with her through all this shit so i mean for better or worse she was a down ass broad to still be talking to him after all this but of course his parents had nothing to do with him well his mother at least sent greetings through a reporter that's colder than not responding <laughs> like you know your son's your, madam your son's about to die tell him i said hello <laughs> That's cold. That's cold, Mama Hay. God damn, I that's didn't think about cold, it like right? that. Like, God damn. Tell him I wish him the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Mom, he's been convicted of murder. Shoot to hang any day now. He's going Tell to him end. I said hello. <laughs> like, like, that's some stone cold blood right there, bro. Yes, yes. Uh, so, yeah, so... Uh, you know, the parents, not much to do with them. Uh, John George Haig uh, did uh, tell Barbara that he believed in reincarnation and that he would be back to complete his mission. I don't know what mission that is. Is that the mission to keep killing people and disposing of them in acid? Or was it some unspoken mission that was rattling That's, around in this fuck yeah. nut's head? I don't know, but he did say that. Now, one interesting fact uh, Madame Tussauds, who does the famous Wax Museum, oh. they've been around for a while, uh, requested a fitting for a death mask. Uh, so I guess, uh, 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 do you know much about death masks? I've heard that term before. I've never heard that term before. And I'm guessing it has something to do with preservation or something. Mm -hmm. Almost kind of like how they'll do a, uh, a molded cast of someone's face. Like now they do it a lot in Hollywood for mm -hmm. when they have to put prosthetics, prosthetics on someone's yeah, face yeah. they'll do that so i'm guessing that'd be the same thing to get the most realistic uh model of him haig was more than happy to oblige for that joe uh now this leads us to august 10th of 1949 yes haig drank a brandy as his final meal that's a dapper way to go out for someone that's right? fucking nutty yeah yeah <laughs> i'm kind of I don't know. I'm kind of taken aback by that brandy. I mean, they weren't going to give him blood. Yeah. Because he, he seemed to like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, before being 
hanged. Ugh, I hate it. I know. It. I know. Where, I want to say before they hung that motherfucker. Yeah. Huh? Hanged. To death. Uh, yes. By executioner Albert Pierrepoint. Pierrepoint. That sounds right to me. Pierrepoint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the case was one of the post-1945 cases which gained considerable coverage in the newspapers even though Haig's guilt was not questioned. Yeah. Which which I found this, uh, well, a little bit of, uh, in, again, he's dead. So August 10th, 1949. They hung him and he's dead. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, so of course they they, they kind of bring this up a post nineteen forty five where kind of like the newspapers were really, uh, I guess starting to get into the more tabloid sides of things, mm-hmm. you know. So they wouldn't. It's not just simply a report of what happened and then that's it. Mm-hmm. There's they're gonna keep talking to people, sensationalizing it, keeping the readership up and things of that nature. But this did yeah. lead to the editor of the Daily Mirror. Which is still around in the UK, by the way. I don't know when it was established, but so it was around back then. Of course, then. you would know that. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I would. It's, it's completely useless and in no way financially oh. helps our family. So naturally, I know oh, that. Uh, but but one Sylvester Bolin was actually sentenced. This I find great, and I wish they would practice this shit more for journalistic malpractice now. But I digress. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sylvester Bolin was sentenced to a three month prison term for contempt of court for describing Haig as a, quote, murderer while the trial was still underway. So again, he was, he was to the public opinion, he was applying guilt to someone that had Had not not yet been found guilty. And I completely agree with that. And one last little bit of uh, tidbit of information, Dreadhead. We talked about Madame Tussauds taking the uh, the death mask of him. Uh, Madame Tussauds did erect a wax figure of John George Haig that was complete with his very own previously worn clothes. And with that last little fact, we wrap up episode 53 about John George Haig the acid bath murderer. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. I enjoyed researching him. I didn't really know about him until, of course, doing the show. Had you ever heard of him before, Joe? No. Yeah, what would you think of John George Haig? I actually like this one. I really did. I like the, Again, I not like a high not, body count. If yeah. you take in the three that he also admitted to, that's a total of nine. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's not like Javed Iqbal who killed exactly 100 boys or shit like that. And, of course, the ultimate motivation for it at the end of the day it was, was money yeah, and not money. getting caught while he continued to extort money and fraud money and things of that nature. But I enjoyed yeah. it. What were you about to say about the- uh, no, that? That's what I was talking about. It was just like that, 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 e- that equilibrium of like it was money plus cleaning up behind the money. Right. And he, like, but, yeah. but it was also he was crazy as well. Yeah. Because he said, well, at least he pretended he, to be crazy. Yeah, pretended. Who knows? Who knows if he ever drank blood of his victims? Yeah. Who knows if he ever really had those I don't know. Dreams? That mug shot made him look kind of nutty. Hey, yeah, he but I don't know. Mugshots from that era kind of always look a little hollow in the eyes, right? Well, I don't know. How I, long just you something had that... about just how it illuminates the the white area of the eyes. It just makes them look, everybody look so fucking hollow. Well, also, didn't you have to sit still for longer back then? Yeah, like, the I don't. Thing where they had like the lights and like the smoke would go out and shit like that. Yeah, for some I don't. Of pictures, yeah, so I, don't I don't know how all that went down. Yeah. But regardless, all we hope is that we had fun talking about it and you had fun listening to it again. 
That is episode 53, John George Haig, The Acid Bath Murders. In closing, don't forget, Joe, what is the most dreadful website on the internet? It's brotherjedpodcast.com. That's you're right. You're going to find brother, everything yeah, there. You're going to find it all Just right there. there. Podcast, <laughs> links, YouTube, BitChute, social media, all that jazz. Check it out. And again, remind you, if you're checking us out on YouTube or BitChute, Subscribe, like, comment, and share. And if you're checking us out on Apple or Spotify, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Send a screenshot of that five-star review along with your mailing address to our IG, Facebook, or spreadthedreadpodcast at gmail.com. And we will send you out some free five-star super spreader, spreadthedreadpodcast.com stickers. And when you get those stickers in, if you'll take a quick uh, picture of yourself holding them or they're on your car or whatever and give us uh, permission to do so, we'd love to share out your picture of being an official dreadhead with all the other dreadheads out there who may not have done it yet. Is that it, Joe? Yes. All right, everybody. It's been almost an hour, so we're going to let you go as always by saying I'm John. And I'm Joe. And look, it's fucked up out there, dreadheads. So you leave the dread to us. Make sure that you stay proud, stay powerful, and stay positive. And no matter if it's morning, noon, or night, Whatever you're doing right now or about to do when you're done listening to this episode, get out there and wreck that shit. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here?